you will come out and captivate us through your holy word and through the words that you have um, written in and through him this morning. To the glory of your name. Amen. Bishop, it's a, it's a surreal world when the Bishop of Kensington tweets a lyric from Stormzy at Glastonbury, but it's uh, actually about blinded by your grace. Um, I'm, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Stormzy indirectly by my son. I have no idea who Stormzy is. Um, he's, he's king of grime, and he's a, he's a, um, a form of music, not just general condition of the Yeah, yeah. Let's stop there. Let's just stop there. Do you want to turn to page 474? 474. Uh, and really good to see, I've got this good to see familiar faces, one or two new faces. I'm Tim, I'm the vicar here. And um, we are in the middle of a, a series looking at the book of Nehemiah, which actually Lydia very helpfully pointed out, reminded to us, although it comes in the middle of the Bible, the Bible's just a collection of books. And um, for reasons best known to themselves, they kind of place the chronological order of events in the story of God, the great unfolding of God's love for his people, uh, is related in basically 66 books, which is what? This is, this is like a mini library. So it's a collection of 66 books. And Nehemiah, chronologically, is really the last book of what we call the Old Testament. There's then quite a long period of silence when it would appear that not much happens before Jesus appears on the scene. And uh, we are reading about um, and hearing about Nehemiah and his team going back from Persia, where they've been in captivity, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, to re-honour God, this place that is, is, is the city of God, it's where God is thought to reside on earth back in those days. And it's, it's, it's in ruins. What does that say about God? So uh, Nehemiah is envisioned, he's been praying about this, and he uh, worked incredibly hard to, as we heard last week, completed the walls. Uh, job done, if you like. And we're chapter 9. What I'm going to do, just to give you a heads up here, you'll see chapter 9 is quite a long chapter. It goes up to page 476. And um, I just read at the earlier service, I just read sort of key verses. But you know, I think I'm going to read the whole chapter um, in a minute. So strap in. Because often we read little, little sections of the Bible. And, and this... It's quite a long section, it's that their great long prayer of confession. Um, but actually in their confession, they tell a lot of the story of God. So I don't really want to skimp on that. So we're going to get a, quite a good praise of the Old Testament story of God and his people through this prayer of confession. But just before I do that, um, and to sort of tear it up, um, can you, because the, the context is 24th day of the same month, the seventh month, this is when all this took place, which was the Persian New Year. So I know it feels a bit weird just now in the middle of summer, in the middle of the year. Uh, we're, we're maybe thinking in term times, I think it's sort of winding down at the end of term, summer holidays. But this, this context now, is, it's, it's the civil New Year. So it's when they're making their New Year's resolutions. And so to kind of, um, in keeping with Persian mindset, in the middle of this feast, it was on the 24th day of the month, in the middle of this feast of celebration, they pause to take stock. So, okay, where are we? Given that we've got these, this new temple and these new walls. So just before I read this, let's, let's sort of get our, our heads into gear with that. Um, can you think of the last time you, you, you got hold of something 
new, that was precious, maybe costly, pricey, uh, and new, or maybe you renewed something, restored and refreshed something that was precious and costly, so it, it, it was like brand new. I'm, I'm thinking recently I bought a, a suit. Um, don't often wear suits. I look at the price of suits and think that's why I don't often wear them. Um, but, uh, and I had this suit that I'd had for some time and I, it had become familiar to me. I'd, um, I'd used it and begun to, as it were, use and abuse it. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd put a pen uh, in the pocket and it, it had just leaked. There was just a little patch on the, fortunately it hadn't leaked out on the outside, but on the inside there's a little stain on the inside and there's a little tear on it. There's a, you know, you get these inner pockets on the jacket. Things. There was sort of a tear there, and it started to get a bit misshapen. You know, I think one of the pockets had a hole in, and so you become a bit familiar to it. You know the faff when you have a suit, and you, you know, you kind of take and you meant to sort of fold it all intricately so that it was all nice and flat, and then trying to feed these trousers with the coat hanger. You know, and it's just a little gap gets smaller when you try to feed it in. It's like sort of posting a letter to try and feed it through the thing so that it hangs beautifully on your, in your wardrobe. You know, I think, and after a while you just think, oh, stuff, 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 that'll do. Or just throw, that'll do. And, you know, so you get it out and they oh, my suit trousers are all crumpled. I wonder why that is. Uh, you just become over-familiar. You kind of cheapen something that's precious. And then you get a new suit. And it's you see, you kind of put it on, you check me out. And you're like, whoa, new suit, yeah. Yeah, I'm going, I am going to look after this suit. No pens in the pocket. Careful what you put in your pockets. Take half an hour to fold those things. That's the immaculate crease you neatly put on the hat. Put dust on it. Keep outside. Just look after this thing. I remember with the, we got a new car about three, four years ago. Uh, the old car, there were sweet wrappers and coffee stains and chocolates and, and just the... The detritus of, of, I don't know, 10 years of, of family, new car. You know that new car smell? Oh, right, that is it. No children are allowed in my car. <laughs> or dogs. And that sort of musty, wet dog smell that pervaded the old car. Right, that's it. If we go to the park, we just got to run behind. It's just... <laughs> you guys, I want to keep it that way. It's precious. It's beautiful. Oh. It, that, it kind of, can you relate to something in... Okay, let's... Let's, let's get into the mindset of the Israelites. Long reading, here we go. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs of the Levites were Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bani, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kanani. They cried out, cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And the Levites, who rejoiced in several glorious names, said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. 
You are the Lord God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and made a covenant with you, a covenant with him to give his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and all the people of his land, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them, so they passed through it on dry ground, but you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down. On Mount Sinai, you spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they... Our ancestors became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked Nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sion, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. Their children went in and took possession of the land. You subdued them before them, the Canaanites, who lived in the land. You gave the Canaanites into their hands, along with their kings and the peoples of their land, to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They put your law behind their backs. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But that when they were oppressed, they cried out to you and from heaven you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverance who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they rule over them. 
And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law. But they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said, whoever obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully, while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep. Even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you've placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. I wonder if I was to play that game, word association. You know, I, I, I say a word and you immediately you come back and uh, I've spoiled the, you know, spoiled the, I've, I've come in, the word would be confession. What would you, what would you immediately say? A, a definition, a reaction, a, a kind of response, confession. And I wonder, I wonder whether it would, it would probably be negative when we say what we've done wrong, when we, you know, we, we, and you, I wonder whether our body language slightly sort of, we'd hang our heads, oh, c- confession, it's, yeah, mm. You know, if there was a sound associated with confession, it'd be, ooh. Mm. But the interesting thing to note about this confession, in, 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 terms, of, in terms of an expression of wrongdoing, is it comes on the 24th day of the month. If you just flick back, Chapter 8, as Lydia led us brilliantly last week, and if you missed it, do, do catch up by the website. You see, chapter 8, verse 2. So on the first day of the seventh month, the seventh month was October, then, which was the start of the new year. So it's on the first day that they begin to read the law, they begin to gather, and as part of that, they have a celebration. You can see just at the top of page 474, verse 17. The Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. This, this great celebration of God's goodness. So they're celebrating, there's, there's joy, there's praise, there's, there's, there's a kind of upbeat thing. And then as part of that, on the 24th day, confession. As they read God's word, 
for a quarter of the day. So don't worry, the service will, will come to them shorter than that. And they worship God, but they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they adopt a posture of, of penitence as they confess. We maybe reduce confession to penitence and, and repentance. Oh, oh, all the things I've done wrong. Woe is me. I want to argue that's, that's just biblically, that's just part of confession. And I want to argue that confession maybe starts with the discipline of, of praise and thanksgiving. Or, or, or the discipline of recalling all that God has done. That's, that's what they do here. If you notice that there were bits where they became arrogant, they became stiff-necked, they became rebellious. But that's quite some way into declarations about blessed be your glorious name. You alone are the Lord, verse 6. You are the God who chose Abraham. You're the God who rescued us out of Egypt. You're the God who came down on Sinai and gave your law. Literally sort of gave us your heart written on paper. Here is my best hope, my best intention for you. Not paper, two stone, but you know what I mean. And Moses presented it to the people. This is how you are to know God. What? What a great God is this? The other engineers and God sacrificed children. They were capricious. You, you didn't know where you stood. This God is constantly coming down to his people and saying, here, I, I want you to live in relationship with me. That's what they rehearsed. That's what they confessed. How good are you? Confession is, is when our hearts and our minds align over reality. When they gain fresh and, and right and good and correct perspective on reality. We get ourselves out of kilter. My, my suit had become crumpled and, and, and worn. The reality is, when I get the new suit, this is what a suit can look like. When I get into the car, ah, oh, fresh, that lovely, clean, new car smell. Everything's pretty, everything works. Everything's good, there's no stains with this. This, confession. This is a good car. This is a good suit. A restored friendship. This is what friendship should be. We've neglected one another. We've lost touch. We've maybe fallen out. That's a distorted and what confession. This is good. This this is well with my soul. This this makes the whole of my inside, every part of me, feel good. It brings health and joy. That's confession. God, you are good. And time and time again, all through history, you've acted consistently, repeatedly. Confession is when heart and mind align over reality. This is real reality. This is true truth. You alone are the Lord. And when the Israelites come to recognise just how good God has been, all through the key stages of their history, generations and generations, that's when they begin to recognise as part of that reality. Verse 16, our ancestors became arrogant and stiff-necked. Verse 26, they were disobedient and rebellious. Verse 28, again. They did what was evil in your sight. 
that's part of the reality. That's part of the truth. That as human beings, we, we wander away. This is the plumb line of God's goodness. And we wander away that way or that way. But when we forget that God alone, we go to other gods. We serve other idols. We think they will satisfy us. But nothing satisfies like our one true, eternally faithful God. So what's happened? What can we learn from here? They're back in the place where God has set aside for them. They're back to the temple where God is thought to reside. They've protected that temple with the wall. They've got a new temple, although not as grand or as fine as Solomon's, the original temple. But nevertheless, a renewed temple. They've got rebuilt walls. So, so great, we're back on track. This great act of confession. We are a people full of joy. We should be reading. Verse 36. Bear in mind, this is after the feasting. This is after the celebration. And it's within the context of the wall that is complete. Nehemiah and his team, they've been working night and day, flat out. Can't, can't tell you how envious I am that in about three or four weeks of going through Nehemiah, he's gone from rubble to a completely finished wall. And after eight years, no, but we'll get there, we'll get there. We will get there. Verse 36. But see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so that they could eat fruit and other good things that it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you've placed over us. They rule over our bodies and the cattle as they please. We are in great distress. Here is Israel confessing real reality and true truth. God is so good. And we've gone wrong. And do you notice, we've got a new temple and we've got the new wall. But we're still slaves. We've got this new temple and this new wall and yet we're in great distress. It's a reminder, and I know you know this, that suits and cars or buildings, temples and walls, they'll eventually wear out. We've been doing some fantastic research on, um, I've really, really enjoyed elements of this project, just things I, I never knew. I, I, I've become, recently I've become a world expert on, on wooden flooring. Mm-hmm. Uh, ask me a question, ask me anything, I promise you I know the answer. Absolute world expert. We are looking to um, uh, place an order for the, the floor in there that will last for generations and generations. Um, just so exciting. You, 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 I mean, this is, this is um, all due respect to, but this isn't the most quality floor you can, you can get. So it kind of wears out a bit after a while. But even then, we, what we could do is sand this, and then you could re, re-varnish it or re, re-gloss it. And it would, look, it would look pretty much as good as new. But obviously every time you sand it, you take a layer off the wood. So it depends on the thickness of the wood and the quality of the wood. Stop me when I'm boring you. <laughs> uh, and so we're, we, we're about to... So it's, it, what's amazing is all this effort and all this sort of dislocation at the moment. But we, collectively, are giving a gift to... Goodness knows how many future generations of St. Dees who will never have to worry about the floor. Or, or uh, hopefully any other aspect of the building. But the point is, buildings, no matter how much you renew them, they'll wear out. They will begin to cause distress. Things, created things, 
can't satisfy it. New suit looks fantastic. Ten years' time, it'll be a crumpled mess in Hogwarts. I'll be saving up for a new suit. Earn the car. Even friendships, people move away or we lose touch or sadly, or wonderfully perhaps, they know the Lord, they're taken from us and they can't last and therefore they can't ultimately satisfy. And here they are confessing that God is the God that we look to serve with our new temple and our new wall and we're in distress. Where's the hope? If, if they've moved back with Artaxerxes' permission, the Persian king, yes, you can go back, yes, I'll give you all this, because I'll give you, you know, free, free movement, you can, you can get there without worry from the enemies, you can build all the new temple, the new wall, and yet they're still in distress. Where's the hope? What's the point of confession? What's the point of Satan reality? How good you are where we've fallen short if we're still in distress. And that's why, um, and the little, the little pricey on the, the Bible project, you Google Bible project and then find Nehemiah and that, and just watch that little video, it's about and then eight minutes, it's brilliant. It's kind of overview of Nehemiah. And it just tees up brilliantly how Nehemiah takes us so far, so far, so far with the story. New temple, new wall. But somehow it doesn't satisfy. And all the while, Nehemiah is pointing us to the, the one who fulfills buildings, fulfills the temple presence, is God's presence on earth. The one who gives ultimate and eternal satisfaction because he will never fade or spoil or perish. And the inheritance he gives us will last forever. Jesus. And Paul sums it up like this. Just turn with me. Page 1105. Or if you're, in, if you're on another Bible or uh, smartphone or tablet or whatever you're reading, then we're um, Galatians chapter 3. Basically, just as you're finding it, Paul is arguing to this church post Jesus that is made up of Jewish believers, people who have been steeped in the history that we've just read about, how good God was to Abraham and Moses and all the prophets and kings of and they're steeped in that. And so they're thinking, right, so what we do, we've just got to try harder. We've got to follow the law. Let's, be, let's try hard to be really good Christians. And Paul's saying, no, do you not see? That confession in Nehemiah should serve to illustrate we're never going to keep the law. We'll always fall short. And, and he kind of brings it to, to quite a sort of punchy focus. Verse 10 of chapter 3. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. In other words, if you can keep the law, if you can do all those things, if you can always honour God and never let yourself or him down, then you're fine. But hands up, who's been able to do that in the history of time? No one. So Paul said, isn't it time you just woke up? Can you not see? Because, because the law, following God's law and commandments and all his attributes, because that is good. And if you can do that, you will live. But, but we've never been able to do that. And so we don't live. Even though we've got a temple and a wall near my day, it's all looking good on the surface. We're in distress. That's the true confession. 
All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified by God, before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, whoever does these things will live by them. In other words, if you can keep the law, you're, you're good. In fact, you will live by them, is literally will be justified before God. You're okay. But Paul said, but none of us are okay because none of us can live by the law. Nehemiah, in his day, the whole of chapter 9 is basically saying, you're so good. You're so good. And yet we've fallen short. And if in Nehemiah's day and in Jesus' day, and if we're honest, for us, isn't that part of the confession? In giving the goodness of God, I know I don't deserve his goodness. I don't deserve his love. I've fallen short of his faithfulness to me. Look what, look what Paul said. Here's the hope. Here's the hope. Which they could only, the people in Nehemiah's day, could only long for. But we, we now know. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole or uh, could be translated tree, which is an allusion to the cross, made out of planks of wood from a tree. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or a tree or a cross. Jesus became that curse for us. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. In other words, everything that the Israelites rehearsed in Nehemiah chapter 9, all God's goodness for his people, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, the, the people that God chose to be uh, his representation on earth. Well, now in Christ, in redeeming those Jews and, and through Christ opening up God's promises to Gentiles as well, I'm guessing most, if not all of us in this room, not born literally Jewish. So we've, we've been grafted into the promises of God. As the Spirit bears witness to us, we, we become alive to, to the reality of God inside us. He's connected us with Him through Christ. He's not counting my wrongdoing against me. I'm no longer a curse. I'm no longer having to strive and strive to be really, really good. I'm not having to work really hard to keep my suit pristine or the car really clean. I know I'll never do it. The analogy breaks down, but it's like God just continually gives us a new car or continually gives us a new suit. He's, we can't, it's a message with our minds, but he's, so, he's just infinitely generous, infinitely kind, infinitely thoughtful. And we have access to that infinite kindness and thoughtfulness, patience and love through Jesus. That's the hope. Not, in Nehemiah's day, a temple, as amazing as it was. Not, in Nehemiah's day, new walls, as swanky as they looked. Not, for us, the renewed church building. Now, let me just qualify that. He <laughs> said, <laughs> so I gave Arthur a check. What do you mean? Just for... There's so many people. I've been beginning to think about the allowance of the daydream and sort of the, the grand opening, however we do that and whenever that is. Uh, and the, the list of people, <laughs> great long list of people to thank. So many people who've given in so many ways. And I, we, we really want to have a season where we just go... Because I tell you, the lights are going to be amazing. The floor is going to be amazing. 
just the sense of space. Do even now, a few of us were allowed hard hats, high vis, because they'll sneak in and have a look. And they've, they've, now, they've now knocked through, you know that big bricked in up? That's completely knocked through. So when you stand in the building, you can see the green. And it, what it does is it just, it just changes the way, it just changes the whole building. It, it opens it all up. The sense of space that it feels like there is now in, in that place. And just, the, just in you come, and, and we'll, we'll kind of pour out. We'll, the, how can it not change the way? Amazing. So we've got to allow ourselves. We've got to allow ourselves to sort of, wow, this is really, really good. But then I think, I don't know whether we sort of ring a bell or something, we say, right, building, secured for, for the next 50, 100 years. Long after we've gone, uh, people can enjoy the building of cities. Now, let's not put our hope in that. Let's not trust in that. Let's not think that, you know, if we've got a really nice building, then we're really good Christians. We're a really good church. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Who, as Paul writes, um, just at the start of the letter of the Ephesians, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. All of those promises, all that faithfulness. You know, in Nehemiah 9, in this chapter here, if you go through it, there are over 20 verbs of, of blessing or generosity, uh, of, of, of sort of giving, if you like, attributed to God. 20 times in different ways, God did this, God blessed that, God, he was patient, he was merciful, he was faithful, all the way through, time and time again. That's, that's the God that we have living in us by the Spirit. We, we're, not, we're not literally Abraham's seed. I'm, I'm assuming maybe he's got Abraham as a great But for you. Uh, the rest of us are by the Spirit. We're, we're brought into the promise of God. And that's, that's our hope. And that is our ultimate confession. Yes, we fall short. And we confess that. We, we, we become aware of that and we speak it out. But it's part of our greater confession. How good are you, God? How blessed, literally, am I to be counted as part of your family, part of your worldwide church. You are the focus amid temples and walls, amid floors and lights and kitchens and all the rest. You are the one I will look to honour, worship and confess day after day after day.